0: Vintage Church exists to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. It's why we do everything we do. This standard for the church was set by Jesus himself when he passed the baton to his first followers. Jesus modeled what the Father desired for his people, and it is this example that we aim to reflect. We take this time every year to examine his life, to be reminded of what it really means to live and love like Jesus. This is Live Love 2019. How are we doing, church? Let me hear you. Come on. Oh, me. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. And I'm glad I get to preach the sermon that I preach in first service. I'm glad I get two more shots at it. Um, because I, uh, oh, I shouldn't say stuff like this, but I'm vulnerable and I'm real. And that's okay. If, y'all look, if, if you're looking to be a church where the pastor has it all together, you're in the wrong place. You may leave now. Um, sometimes you walk off the platform and like, man, I'm like, I'm glad I get to preach that again. Because uh, as a communicator, you don't always articulate your heart like you would hope to when you come off this platform. And so y'all going to get a better sermon than first service, God. Okay. Um, All morning, I've had this story on my heart and I didn't even realize till I preached the first service, how it even connected to anything that I was going to teach on. And I guess it's just because this is the 10th, Version of a series that we do called live love and maybe you're new maybe you're here for the first time I don't know but every year about this time we do a series called live love because that's who we are this church exists to inspire people to live in love like Jesus that's why we are here and so every year we really intensely and intentionally kind of revisit this subject and just just talk about the life of Jesus and try to lay Jesus life beside our lives and, and just see see where the gaps exist and so in this 10th anniversary, like I've just been thinking about this journey. And, and all along these 10 years, I've just kind of waited for this whole thing to kind of fall apart and I'd have to go get a real job. And, and, and someday it might. I don't know. Uh, but I've just been thinking about this journey. And all morning, I've been thinking about the, uh, the bathroom at the Holiday Inn Express in Indianapolis, Indiana. Just let that sit for a little bit and make everybody feel awkward and uncomfortable. Um, Because, like, I can almost still feel that cold, the way that cold tile felt like pressed against my face. We were just getting ready to start this whole church planning journey and that kind of stuff. And I was going up to Indianapolis, Indiana to go through like an assessment and kind of par- preparation before we would come and plant the church and that kind of stuff. And so my wife Ashley and I, we flew to Indianapolis and the plan was for a week. Like I was going through like all these tests and evaluations and, and training and all this other kind of stuff because like like they want to know like are you stable enough to plant a church? And <laughs> I fooled them. Um, and I remember we, we, we fly in, and we, and we get into the hotel, and we walk into the hotel room to, like, put our bags down, that kind of stuff. And my wife just burst into tears. And, like, you got to know my wife. My wife does not cry. I, I only think she didn't cry when my kids were born. Like, I am the girl in the relationship. <laughs> like, I am the emotional one. Like, I'll cry. The other day, like, I, I'm, I'm watching Chicago Fire. I'm about to cry. I'm just emotional. Like a good Hallmark commercial comes on. I'm in tears. Give me some Kleenex. I mean, I'm just emotional. I'm emotional. And so if my wife is crying, I pay attention. And all of a sudden, um, my wife begins to reveal um, how bad of a husband I have been in this process. Because, see, I, I knew that God was calling me to do this. Like, I knew it, like, I, there was no question in my heart that, that I was called to, to plant this church and to lead this church and to, to be a part of something that God was really going to do great called Venice Church. And uh, what I had done as soon as God called me to that, instead of leading her, I was dragging her along. Like, some men in the room need to know the difference between that, between leading and dragging, and there's been moments, even though like I w- we were heading in the right direction, I wasn't leading her with me. I was dragging her behind me. And, and she just said, like, Matt, like you've, you've made all these decisions, and you've, and you, and you've decided all this stuff, and you're, you're asking us to uproot our lives. And it was just like, boom, you came home. Babe, we're planting a church, and we're moving hours away from the life we'd ever known, and I've got to leave my job and my friends and my family and go to this whole thing. And, like, that's great for you, but it's like you just decided we're doing this. And in that moment, I was still confident in what God had called me to do. But I didn't know what to do. So I went into the bathroom at the Holiday Inn Express, and I just laid flat on my face, and it just hit me this morning. That floor was probably nasty with bacteria and germs, and I'm laying on this floor in the bathroom, and I started crying out to God. And I think... That it was in that moment that God started to help me to realize that when God calls you to something, it requires commitment. And that commitment has a higher cost than you ever realized. Come on, somebody. Like, like when you decide to pursue God with your life, it requires a deep, deep commitment and between that calling and that commitment, is a constant high cost that, that you, you've got to be ready and willing to pay. And I remember thinking like, God, I'll, I know you're calling me to plant this church, but it will not be at the cost of my marriage. So I've got to learn how to navigate this thing well. Because for, if, if I'm going to stay committed to what you've called me to do, I've got to learn how to navigate the cost. Am I making sense? And in that, God began to stir something in my life. And, 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 and I didn't think that really connected to what I'm going to talk about today. But that's kind of what I want to talk about is the, is the, is the, the, the cost of commitment. Because it's like God just hit me in the face this week that, that you guys didn't need a, a, another sermon on the life of Jesus right now. And the way God kind of put it in my heart is that it's a matter of commitment, not clarity at this point. And what I mean by that is you don't need more clarity on what Jesus' life looked like. Like, that's not what you need to push you over the edge. Like, if you're going to live and love like Jesus, if you're going to allow your life through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform and evolve and be grown into the life of Jesus, it's it's not about more clarity. It's not about me continuing to clarify, this is how Jesus lived, this is how Jesus loved. Like, there's a lot of people in the room, like, you know that stuff. The gap is commitment it's not clarity It's commitment it's not that you need another message about what Jesus life looked like it's time for you to make a commitment to living that life commitment that we are called to represent Jesus to reflect his life to replicate the life that he demonstrated And maybe, like, there won't be replication until there's dedication. There won't be replication until there's dedication. That the reason why our lives aren't looking like the life of Jesus is not because we're ignorant of what Jesus' life looked like. It's because we don't have the courage to pay the cost to commit to it and actually live it out. And there comes a moment when Jesus is like, you got all you need to know. You don't need another Bible study. You don't need more information. You need better application. You, you don't need to, 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 to analyze the life of Jesus anymore. Like you, you, you know, and I know there's some people in the room like you're not there yet probably, maybe. You're still learning this whole Jesus stuff. But there's a lot of people in this room. You have all the clarity you need on what Jesus' life looked like. What you need now is to commit Amen, air conditioner. (laughs) And I think there's a moment when Jesus has this same conversation with his disciples. I'm reading in the Gospels, and and it's like there's a moment when when Jesus kind of turns the conversation, starts to push the envelope a little bit more, starts to challenge those people that have been walking around him and with him for so long where he turns and looks at them he's like, okay, enough is enough. Like, I know that you've been following me and you've been watching me and you've been kind of associated with me somewhat, but now it's time, to, it's time to put up or shut up. It's time to, like, to, to match my commitment to you with a commitment to me. Like, I know f- from this point on, like, it's been one thing and you've enjoyed this, But even to the disciples, those original 12, he has some really difficult conversations. Look at Matthew chapter 16. We read a portion of this a few weeks ago. Matthew 16, pick up verse 21. says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Like, there comes this moment when Jesus flips. He's like, okay, like, like I need to clarify for you what I'm really here to do. Because I'm not really here for us just to walk around and do really cool things till the end of time. Because that's been what it had been before. Like, like following Jesus, like, we're going to follow Jesus because we want to see what he does next. Is he going to heal somebody? Is he going to turn water into wine again? Because that was a party, Like, we're going to have a good time. Or maybe is he going to feed 5,000 more people? Again, like, like, we hung out with Jesus, and one day we were on this mountain. There were thousands of people, like thousands and thousands of people. He took a little boy's lunch, and we fed everybody. It was awesome. And, like, maybe they've gotten just, like, enamored with what Jesus does and not really, not really committed to who Jesus is. Come on. Come with me now. (laughs) Like, we get really enamored with what Jesus does. We get enamored that we get to come and sit in a cool room with a good band and cool lights. And it comes a point, like, okay, okay, guys, just so you know, like, where we're going is gonna look different than maybe where we've been. Because what's gonna happen next is gonna be harder than it has been so far. So far, y'all have sat on the sidelines and got to watch me do all these cool things. But if y'all gonna keep riding with me, you need to know a few things because maybe it's not what you thought it was. And as a matter of fact, Peter actually reveals with his own mouth that it's not what he thought it was because Peter's response to Jesus saying he's going to have to die is in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. In other words, Jesus, I know what's better for you. You ever told God, you know what's better? Like, I know better. Good plan, God, but let me give you my idea. He says, never, Lord. And see, right there in that, that, and I always wonder, like, what happens after verse 23 when Jesus says, he looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Like, that hurts my feelings, Jesus. Really? You got to call me Satan? Satan. Now, here's when the first service, I made a statement that I need to clarify. And my statement was, Jesus don't care about your feelings. And now, I mean that, but I don't mean that. Look at, Jesus cares when you're hurting. Jesus cares when you're in pain. What God is or isn't going to do is not dependent on how you feel. Because that's what we look like. God, I really like to do, but I don't feel like it. I know this is what you call me to do, but I just ain't feeling that today. Like Jesus, God's will and His word does not bend based on our emotions. You with me? Say amen. Because I think we live in this culture that we think, yes, God does care about your feelings and that He cares that you hurt. He cares when you're struggling. He cares when you're sad. He cares where you're in sorrow. He's paying attention when you're joyful. But God is not gonna bend Himself towards your feelings. And that's what happens to Peter. Peter, like, I don't feel like doing that, Jesus. This whole you going and dying and us getting into this big mess. I'd rather not do that. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then look what he says in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, this is when we really need to pay attention. Because if you ever wondered What what is required for us to be a disciple? Jesus is about to give it. Again, that's the goal, right? Our goal is to live and love like Jesus. At its purest form, a disciple is somebody who lives and loves like Jesus. And so if that's your goal, if you want to be a disciple, Jesus is about to tell us what's required. Oh, wait a minute. There's requirements? Yes! Yes! Like, it's more than just coming to church and wearing a Christian T-shirt and listening to Caleb on the way to work and having a gold chain with a cross on it. Like, there's more. Yes. Like, Jesus is about to clearly say, like, whoever wants to be my disciple. So he's talking to anybody who has the desire to live and love like Jesus needs to pay deep attention to what Jesus is about to say next. Now, if that's not your desire, take a good nap for the next 20 minutes. But if the, your desire, if, if the goal of your heart, if the intentions of your life is to live and love like Jesus, then what Jesus is about to say next is very, very important. Because he's about to say what's necessary, what's required of those of us who make the decision to live and love like Jesus. Because he's not, he's not going to clarify the details of the life. He's going to clarify the high cost of true commitment. And a dis- if you're going to be a disciple, commitment is required. And I know we get all weird about that because then we start talking about oh, like so there's rules to this following Jesus thing. Yes. Oh man, I didn't think that. I didn't think that was this kind of church. It didn't look like it when I came in. The music was super loud, and there was all kind. Again, can I just remind you? Yes, this is a relationship we get to have with Jesus. Amen. All relationships, in order to be healthy, operate in a framework of rules. All relationships, in order to be healthy, require commitment. You want to have a good marriage? What's required? Commitment. I didn't say to have her committed. (laughs) Commitment. And Jesus is about to outline what that commitment looks like. See, again, we think, oh, oh, I'm committed to Jesus because I go to church. I'm committed to Jesus because I throw some money in the offering plate. I'm committed to Jesus because I own a Bible. I'm committed to Jesus. Like, like we started to use all these little weird peripheral external things as if that is what demonstrates our commitment to Jesus. And you, know, Jesus is about to tell you the kind of commitment that will be displayed For somebody who really wants to be his disciple. Are you ready to hear it? All three of you? It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, what good, is it, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And right there, Jesus very clearly and profoundly says, hey, you want to be my disciple? You really want to be committed to me? Okay, well, here is what commitment requires. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Like that's what a disciple does. A disciple has the courage to un- and, and the understanding that, hey, if I'm going to follow Jesus, it requires self-denial. That there are going to be some things that I want, that I desire, that I think I'm supposed to have, that I don't get to have. There are going to be some things I can say yes to and some things I'm going to have to say no to. There's going to be some things in this life that I really, really want and am confident I deserve that I'm going to have to lay down. You with me? There's going to be some things that I just am going to have to avoid and abstain from and walk away from and turn down and say no to if I'm really going to follow Jesus. There are going to be things that like, I really, really want that I'm going to have to say no to. And then he says, you're going to have to take up your cross. And now I think the original hearers of this didn't register with them what they were saying. See, we have a different context because we're on this side of the cross. And when we think about the cross, we, we kind of know what he's talking about. Because we know that Jesus would carry his cross. He would go to that hill. He would be nailed to that cross. He would die for our sins. Like, we know that. But they're hearing, take up your cross. You mean the, the ones that the Romans used to kill folk? Really? What he's saying is, if you're gonna follow me, not only are you gonna to have to deny yourself of something that maybe you won't, you're gonna to have to embrace something that you don't. You're gonna to have to be willing to accept something that seems undeserved and unfair, unwanted, uncomfortable, and painful. Jesus, let's go back to having fun. Let's go back to feeding the five thousand. Let's go find another boy's lunch and feed some more people. Let's go heal some more folks. Let's go turn some more water into wine. Let's let's go. To, let's not talk about this. And see, some of us would rather do that too. Oh, Matt, preach about something fun. Preach about something that makes me feel good. Wish I could. But if we're gonna live in love like Jesus, we've got to follow. We got to recognize and not resist what is required of somebody who wants to carry that label. So he's saying you want to carry it, you're going to have to recognize and do not resist what is required. And what is required is that you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. But don't you see, do you really see what Jesus just did? Once again, Jesus just reiterated everything that we've always said. That a disciple is someone who lives and loves like Jesus in every way. And do you notice what Jesus just said? If you're going to be my disciple in every way, you're going to have to do what I did. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do you not realize that those three things are the essentials of what Jesus did to buy you out of your sin? Jesus denied himself the comfort of heaven. To enter the chaos of earth, Jesus, fully God, in the comfort of heaven, embraced human flesh and all that that comes, made himself lowest of the low. He denied himself. Like, even in his divinity, he, he wrapped himself in flesh. You want to talk about denial? Jesus, of all people, did not have to do what he did. Of all people, didn't des- deserve to come here and have to deal with this mess that we created. But it, he denied himself the comfort of heaven to enter the chaos of earth. Why? Because he had a cross to carry. And he carried his cross in obedience so that you and I could live. And he constantly followed the will of the Father, even when it was hard and uncomfortable. Do you see what Jesus is saying? And maybe this, just a light bulb came on for me, is when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, what he's, again, he's saying is, you want to be a disciple? In every way, you've got to model my life. My life. You too, just like I did, are going to have to have seasons of self-denial. You too, just like I did, are going to have to carry. He didn't say carry my cross. I think maybe that's how we interpret it. Oh, we have to carry his cross. Honey, go buy a cross from Hobby Lobby. We'll put it on the wall. No, your cross, whatever form that is, and what it will have in common with Jesus is it will be unwanted, maybe unwarranted and uncomfortable And that's going to be what's required, to follow him. And see, that's where it gets messy, doesn't it? Because that commitment has such a high cost, we bail out. And maybe the reason why some of us, we're never making progress in this living and loving like Jesus thing, it's not because we don't know. It's not a matter of clarity. It's a matter of commitment. Because when commitment comes to ask for the cost, We bail out. Uh, I'm all with you, Jesus, until I have to give up that thing. I'm all with you, Jesus, until you ask me to do this thing. I'm all with you, Jesus, until it requires something more than I really want to give. And we're not not living and loving like Jesus because we don't know how Jesus lived in love. We just lack the commitment he said would be necessary to do it. He would have another moment when... Jesus would be a little bit unlike the Jesus we've created in our minds. Jesus got gotten popular because he's done a lot of cool things. And Jesus had began to draw a crowd, but Jesus didn't come here to draw a crowd. That's why we will never be too wrapped up in the size of the crowd that shows up here week in and week out, because we didn't come here to draw a crowd either. And he comes at this one point, look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 14. There comes this one point where Jesus turns to the crowd and says some stuff that most of us don't think is very Jesus-y. Like these big crowds are showing up. These big crowds are showing up. And, and you can almost feel the tension and, and maybe even a little bit of frustration as Jesus' voice when all of a sudden he turns and he looks at the crowds. And look at what happens. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot, cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine how this went down? Jesus walking around, these big crowds following him. And Jesus turns and says, Hey, I just need y'all to know something. Because I see y'all showing up here every day. Some of y'all have been seeing come. Every single day, some of y'all knew, welcome. But you need to know something. As you keep following me around, if you want to do more than just walk around with me and actually be committed to me, what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to hate your mama, hate your daddy, hate your job, hate, hate everything. It's kind of what it feels like Jesus is saying, isn't it? Let me clarify what Jesus is saying in case you didn't know. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to commit to me the way that I've committed to you and the way it's going to be necessary for us to move forward, your love for me has to be so far above your love for everything else that how you love me compared to how you even like anything else looks like love versus hate. Like, like. I'm going to have to be so far above everything else you think is important, you can't even see it from me. That compared to the way you love your mom, compared to the way you love me, it ain't even close. Your love for me so supersedes your love for your kids. It's not even close. Your love for me is so much bigger than your love for your hobbies for your job, for your finding, like your love for me is going to have to so far outweigh everything else. And if you're not willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. Because see, here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that you could be consistently in the crowd and not faithfully following See, Jesus knew that every single Sunday people could walk into churches. Hey, making everybody uncomfortable right now, ain't it? <laughs> like, Jesus knew that, like, people could walk into church day in, day out, go through the motions. Somebody's cell phone still right here. I could take it. It's an iPhone, too. Must be a Christian. <laughs> that this right here does not impress Jesus because you can do this all the time, and you can convince yourself proximity that you're Christian by proximity because it looks like you're close to, Jesus and because your microphone's in and out, like it can, look, it can have the appearance of commitment and not really be it. And Jesus is saying, like some of y'all have thought just because you're close, that you thought that proximity would impress me. Or you thought that proximity would lead to progress just automatically. But it doesn't. That we can show up and we can be in the room. And nothing ever changed, and and maybe it's just me reflecting my own heart. But I think Jesus was saying. I think Jesus got tired of looking out at the crowd and not seeing enough commitment. And this is a statement that I said in the first gathering that I'm going to say again, even though I was told not to by my own mama. But I'm going to say it anyway, and then I'm going to clarify it. I think there's a part of Jesus that was saying. Start changing or stop coming. And this is what I don't mean by that. I don't mean like he was saying, like there's some people in the crowd that are curious. And, 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 and I think he's saying, stop coming like that. Stop coming pretending to be something you're not. Stop coming in here and acting like you're committed when you're not really committed. Stop putting on this pretense by proximity when I'm really not priority. Like, Stop. Like, it's, it, like, you keep showing up every day, and you think that I don't realize that, oh, you're, you're just here, and you're not present. That you being here makes me think that you're committed to me when I know you're not. And there's some of y'all, you think you're... I'm going to look this way so I don't look at me in the eye. You think that you're fooling God, and God is somehow tricked into thinking that he is your priority just because... You keep being present in this room. And God's like, I know you're not. I see you when you leave here. I see what you do and what you don't do. And I think God's saying, like, like, like it's time to stop coming like that. Be real. Be honest. Be vulnerable. Does that make sense? Because it, it's about And I don't know how I have it written on the notes. I'm not going to go back and look. Sarah will put it up there. It's priority that leads to progress, not proximity. Like you being in this room will not lead to progress. Necessarily. It's just not automatically guaranteed. You can be at this church every single Sunday and not look any more like Jesus tomorrow than you did 10 years ago. But when Jesus becomes priority, And only, and that's what—that's essentially what he's saying. He's like, when I am priority, so priority that like what used to be priority ain't doesn't even look like priority anymore. When it used to look like your kids were important compared to how important I am, doesn't even look the same. There's such a higher level of commitment to me than you've ever committed to anything else that that's when things begin to shift in your life. When you are all out, all in, all for me and I am priority at all times, in all places and you actually allow me to be me in your life at all times, in all places and you're more than just satisfied with watching the show but you're actually committed to who I am in a way that makes you grow then something will really begin to shift in your life and until that level of commitment 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 and that level of priority wells up in you, you will never make progress in this whole living and loving like Jesus stuff. And he says, but just so you know, if you're going to make this kind of commitment, you need to consider it. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, the person... This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off. And will ask for terms of peace. Like in other words, like before you say, yeah, Jesus, we're all in. You need to know what you're getting into. You need to understand what I'm requiring. And let me clarify it once again. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Like you cannot be my disciple. And being my disciple... Living and loving like Jesus is not accomplished just in proximity. It happens when I am the only priority of your life. When I have my rightful place in the throne room of your heart. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Why? Why is he saying that? Because this will be the hardest thing you ever try to do. And the only way you will ever live in love like Jesus is from his strength. Amen, somebody. But the strength to stay comes from a willingness to surrender. And so he's saying is you will never have the strength, you'll never have complete strength until there's full surrender. You will never have complete strength until there's full surrender. Give up everything you have. And see, that's when commitment is demonstrated and strength is released. When we give God everything we have so that he can strengthen us in every way. Because he cannot source what you don't surrender. He cannot handle what you still hold. And the only way you're ever gonna have the strength enough to live and love like Jesus is come from coming from the place of full commitment, which is complete surrender. I need somebody with a set of keys. With like a handful of keys on it. Who's got them? All right. See, this is what I've discovered we try to do with God. We come to Jesus, and Jesus says, I want all the keys. And, and this is what he really hopes we do. Okay. The keys, every key to my life, my marriage, my, my, my job, like all the keys that make up the different arenas and places of my life. He's saying, like, when you come to me, I, if you want me to have my strength and my, my wisdom poured out into those areas, said, i got to have it all. But this is what we like to do to God. Like, okay, God, I come to you today, I tell you what. Um, we don't really know each other very well yet, so... I'll give you this one. And that's what we do. That almost fell on the floor. And then we wonder why nothing changes. We wonder why we're still struggling. Why we're still having a hard time. And then we think, well, okay, I know what it is. Like, I just need to give you something. All right, God, here we go. All right, I know you want it. And I I know I'm I'm kind of hesitant to get over because, um, i really like to control this, but okay, God, here you go. But not yet, not the rest of these, not yet. And then we wonder, again, why nothing, not, like, why nothing has changed. And, and like, we're like, God, this was weird. God, I gave you my marriage. I gave you my kids. But why is my career so messed up? You know what God's saying is? Because you still got the key. Like you're still holding on to that thing. And see, that's what we do. It's like almost like we just want to hand God one thing at a time. And then, see, what happens is, though, is, is when we gave God just a couple things and, and, and these things that we're still holding and we're still screwing up and we're still trying to control, get all messed up, we get mad at God. And we're like, if you ain't going to fix that, I'm taking my keys back. And then we pick up what we laid down. And, and we play this little game with God, don't we? Then it starts to fall apart. I'm like, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'll give it back to you. You're right. I don't know how to do this marriage thing, so you need to fix it. And then we're still holding all this stuff. And we go to this place where we just keep handing God. You know what God's saying? He's saying, if you'll just release it all, if you just take the whole chain and everything on it and let me have it, then I can really start unleashing my power and presence in your life in a powerful way that begins to change things. But like, I can't handle what you keep holding. I can't source what you are continuing to refuse to surrender. Because see, what you don't realize is all this stuff is connected. And and, And what I don't control will always have the potential to control you. And when something else is controlling you and I'm not controlling you, then your commitment is non-existent. And if there's no commitment, if there's no dedication, there's no power to release the replication that allows us to demonstrate the life that Jesus has modeled before us. So if you're ever going to live in love like Jesus, he's got to have all the keys. Maybe that's why you're not where you thought you would be. Maybe that's why you're settled for sitting in the crowd. Maybe that's why life doesn't look like you thought it would. And he's saying, if it's ever gonna, I'm gonna need it all. So Father, I pray right now, in this moment, That you have begun to speak in this room. That God, thank you for the reminder and for the way that you've clarified the high cost of commitment. And Lord, we want to live in love like you, but God, we're realizing more and more that that only comes from commitment. And what does commitment look like? Absolute surrender. And when we're holding back and we're keeping a grip, on areas of our lives. God, you just said it. If you don't have everything, we cannot be your disciples. If you don't have it, all, if you are not Lord of all, then you are not Lord at all. And so God, help the people that are around this room that are still gripping so tightly to areas of their life that you've called them to release. God, move. Move, God try open their hands, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.